In Shmuel, we learned yesterday that Yenison's bold uh, decision to try and attack the, the Fishti camp on his own and uh, the condition he makes, so to speak. And that is if the Fishti were going to take a defensive position and tell Yenison to come to them or they're going to come and attack him. And like we saw yesterday, the Fishti say to him, you come and fight us and Yenison takes that as his cue that Hashem wants him to go and fight. And we're holding in Perikid that it, Pasukid that it. And the Pasuk says, sorry, Pasukid Gimel. And the Pasuk says, Vayal Yenison al Yadav Aragdav. Yenison went up on his hands and his feet, which is not the normal person would go. So Rashi explains it, not literally. Rashi explains it, and he ran. And Yadav Aragdav is just a way of saying he went as quickly as he could. In other words, once he saw the sign that he was meant to attack the Pishim of so it was without hesitation he ran to fight. That's uh, an odd term. Which is an unusual term, exactly. It's not a normal term. For and therefore the Malbim explains it differently. And Malbim explains that what it means is that the went to the other If you remember what happened was, there was, the Nach explains the situation and described that there was a wall of rock on both sides. And he was going as it was in the, in the corridor between them. And he comes to the Pishtim, he kind of meets them and they suddenly see him appearing from between the rocks. And they thought that means that the Jews are all hiding in the rocks. And therefore they said to Yenison, you come fight us. So it's interesting, the way the Bible explains the Pasuk is rather than going towards them, the, the ones who had called them to go fight them, in other words, between where the rocks were, Yenison decides to climb the rocks. And therefore, Vayal Yenison, means he climbed the rock face. And for that he would need his hands and his feet. The person needs his hands for... So to steady himself and to hold on to something when he's climbing a rock. And therefore, rather than coming, rather than coming to meet the fish in the plain, the innocent climbs over the rock. And that's, and then Venice the of Akrov is followed by uh, Saul, his weapon bearer. How did he get up if he didn't have his hands? How did the arms bearer have his, arm, have his arms free? In the same way. He would probably have his quiver on his back or around his waist or whatever. Uh, that he was holding. Right. So he, no. so he, he comes up after him. And the way the mom explains it, that by doing that, now Yonison got in between the two parts of the army. Because he said before that there was the Mashvis, which was the first, so to speak, the expeditionary force, went out ahead. And then after it came the Matzah, which was the standing army. And now by, by cutting in the middle, yet climbing over the rocks where we wouldn't expect them to come from, Yonison got in between them. And he starts to fight. Obviously, they weren't expecting him to come from there. But he put it in the Yenison. They fell in front of Yenison. And uh, his Nosek Kalim was killing them after him. And the understanding of the Pasuk is that, that Yenison was in a rush. So he, I don't know what weapon he was using, if it was a sword or it was a, a club, whatever it was. But basically, it was a two step process. So Yenison knocked them over, Ayyip, they fell in front of him. And then the Nasir Kaini behind him was the one who was Stabbed. was killing, killing them. And uh, the reason to do that. <laughs> that was it, it means that Yonison could attack more people more quickly. If you didn't have to finish this one off, you could just like Mabra. strike them, knock them over, you would be able to kill or at least knock out the soldiers more quickly. Which is what he was trying to do. Because it's clear that obviously Yonison was expecting or relying on the Siyat Dishmaya. Thank you. Um, was relying on the Siyat Dishmaya. Hashem would help him. But he also knew that they were tremendously outnumbered by the enemy soldiers. And therefore, if he wanted to cause havoc or cause uh, confusion in the enemy camp, the way to do that was to 
cause as much damage as quickly as possible, and then it will have an effect. That's what he does. Right. And so the first blow which Jonathan strikes the Pishtim is about 20 people. And in a very small area, Amana is like the land of the Pharaoh. So in the amount of space of a half land of a Pharaoh, which is not very much space, of a field, in that small area, Jonathan knocks, knocks out 20 people. And then again, it was because there were so many fishly soldiers, so they were very closely packed together. And so then, where he was, he managed to kill 20 soldiers in a very small area. Nine means the length of the or the width of the Again, the point of that is that if, if Jonathan is attacking in the middle of the camp, so then, and you have a very tightly packed amount of soldiers, so they know something's going on, but they can't see what's going on. But if you have a big crowd of people, and suddenly people in the middle start falling, so people further away can't see what's happening. They, they, they know something's happening, they don't know what. And what that's going to cause is, as always, something like that causes a double confusion. There'll be people who run away, and there'll be people who run forward to see what's going on. And therefore, rather than attacking from the front of the camp, causing something to happen in the middle of the camp is going to cause much more uh, chaos and demonium because people don't know what to do. And that's exactly what happens. And it is what he said, So now there was this uh, like this wave of terror which hits the Pishtim. They see people are dying, they don't know what the enemy is. Also remember that this, the fact that there's only two Jewish soldiers worked to their advantage because most of the Pishtim soldiers couldn't see the enemy. It's not like they saw a whole army coming to attack them and they knew where the enemy was centered. It was individuals in the middle of the tightly packed masses of the Pishtim. So they, they couldn't even identify who, where the enemy was. And therefore it causes panic in the camp of the Pishtim. And, this is again, the, 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 like the Malbim explained it, the way that Yonison planned with the strike was in between the two bodies of the army. So neither of them was prepared for this. The, the vanguard had gone ahead, it was being hit from the rear, and the Matzov was not expecting to be attacked in the direction where they already had soldiers. And therefore, it's, you know, the Apostle points out that this Harada applied both to the Matzov and to the Mashkis, both to the standing army and to the, the original army where the original forces were at, Harada Gamema. Vatir Gazaret. Vatir is such an expression, but it means the land seized. In other words, there was lots of movement. Everyone was running around, didn't know what to do. And that was the first point. That we can even say maybe was a good strategy. Of course, there was a certain set of involved, but it made sense that that would be the result of the first step. But now there's a second step which comes in. And that is Hashem Gazaret. Hashem exacerbates the fear that the Pishtim had because uh, what would have been a normal thing that they don't know what's going on, they don't know who to fight, they don't know what's, where, where, where the exactly is where it's coming from would have had a certain effect. But the fact that it spread and intensified was called Kharis Rakim, assisted and made the Pishtim that much more afraid. So that's what, that's what Yonison did. And then again, so now we're leaving the scene of Yonison. And who's in the middle of the Pishti camp, busy causing destruction, and as a result, there's ever widening ripples of, of confusion and panic in the Pishti army. And now we go back to the rest of the Jewish army who are watching from the mountain. By Yirat Saifim, the Shah, so the, the outlook uh, soldiers, the people who were looking to see what's going on, and see for, who were holding Bashar on the mountain, and give us Binyamim, and what they see is, 
instead of seeing a normal like progression of the Pushti army, they see tremendous movement and running and like confusion. It's like waves of the sea going up and down and they don't know what's going on. So the scouts see this and uh, they don't know what to make of it, they don't know what's going on. So Vayam is So Shal says uh, to the people with him, he also can you suspect that maybe this, they had been attacked. So he tells the soldiers, see who's, if anyone left us. In other words, he, until this day, he didn't know the Yenison wasn't there. But Yifkudu, so they counted the soldiers, and they realized that Yenison and Yenison are missing. Now, this goes back to what we were holding before. We saw that Achia ben Achitov was the coin in the camp of the Erev Tzavim. And while this was going on, so now Shal says to the coin, "Hagish Aaron Elikim, bring the Aaron Akodesh. Kihaya Aaron Elikim by Yamahu ben Israel, because Aaron Akodesh was with them with ben Israel on that day." And here the post, the Mefarshim point out, following with Rashi, that it definitely doesn't mean Aaron Akodesh, because they really learned that lesson and made that mistake the previous time and brought Aaron Akodesh to battle. They weren't going to risk that again. But what it means, Aaron Elikim over here, Rashi says, is talking about Aaron Betul. Even though it's not normally called the Rani Lakim. But in the context of what he wanted the Kohen to do, so he says that he wants him to ask the Urim which is going which is going to wait to ask Hashem advice what he's meant to do. So he asked the Kohen to do that. And now that's the way Rashi explains. And that's where Lakhad Mufarsh explained it as well. And when we saw in the beginning of Sefishmul, we saw there was Makhlaikas we're showing him how many Arans there were. And uh, we saw the shit of the Ramban. And the Ramban writes that there was two Aaron Kodesh's. There was Aaron Kodesh's job was always to remain in the center of the base of Mikdash, in the center of Ta Yisrael. But there was another Aaron which is spoken in Asik's Pasha. It says, There was an Aaron which traveled ahead of the camp, three days ahead of the camp. And that was the, so to speak, to Lassur and to smooth out the path, to prepare the way for them. That was the second Aaron. What was in that iron? Yeah, what was in the iron? So the had said that when there were two irons, the luchos were in the one, and the shiver luchos were in the other one. So if that's the case, that was the iron which it was normal to take to battle. The shiver Right, that wasn't the iron which was normally kept in the Kodesh It was a separate iron. And therefore, when they brought the iron Kodesh, which was always kept in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, that was what caused the upheaval the previous time they brought it to battle. It wasn't normal. Whereas there was an iron which was normally brought to battle, and it could have been the iron which is with them here. Uh, what was the nature of that iron? Did it look the same as the other one? We don't know. The Pasuk says in Aikav, Hashem told Moshe to prepare for the first luchas. And remember, the Ramban is coming for, for a very logical reason. Because let's think for a second. When Hashem told Moshe, come, come to Harsinai, and you're going to come down after 40 days with the luchas. This is before the Mishkan. This is before the instruction of building a Mishkan. And if that's the case, Moshe is going to come down with the Luchos. Where is he going to put them? Where are the Luchos going to go? And on that, the Rambam is the Pasuk in the time of Hashem, Hashem tells him, which means there was a pre-existing commandment to make an Aron as something to house the first Luchos. And obviously things changed and the first Luchos got smashed. But that original Aron was there to house the first Luchos and it did. Whereas later on, when after Chetega, now Hashem tells Moshe to make the whole the whole Mishkan with all the Kadim, so then there was a second iron which was made, and there wasn't going to the second Luchas. Uh, and therefore, that's a, if the way that the Torah refers to 
the first luchas, the first iron is Naron 8, so then we can discuss. Was it also gold plated like the second one was? Did it have Kruvim like the second one? Then was this just a, a plain a wooden box, one was called like that, and Naron 8 without all the trappings of the iron Kodesh, which was made later, and it held the other luchas. Now, why was it important to us? Because we're going to see that the way the Urim Mitzumim worked is that the Kohen would stand in front of the Aaron Kodesh and ask the question, and the answer would be given to him in the, the lights which shine on the stones. But the Mashmos is that the, in order to do that, the Kohen needs to stand in front of the Aaron Kodesh. And then and that's the, he, he asks Hashem so you know, for the answer, and then he gets the answer. If there wouldn't have been an Aaron Kodesh there at all, which is what the Rashi's Mashmos, then you see a big Kodesh and that is that the coin could answer for the Urim for an answer without an Urim, which not, isn't normally the case. The Pasuk says, when he's talking about the Urim Tzumim, Hashem Yamud. He has to stand in front of Hashem, the Shalbun, which put the Urim. But, uh, and therefore, to say that there was, there was an Urim here too, even, and that's the simple part of the words, that it calls the Urim, the Urim Elakim, even if, so that would make more sense in the way that you normally see that to use the Urim Tzumim, it had to be in front of an Urim. So now while this is going on, Shaul calls the Kohen and he says to Kohen, ask Hashem what to do. In the meantime, what's happening? And they see that the thousands of people are running up and down. And uh, it's quite clear to Shaul and his force in the mountain that the Bishli army has lost control. Everyone's running like, aimlessly, they don't know what to do. And now, obviously, it's the ideal time to attack. If you see an army which is which isn't in, which has has no uh, control over its soldiers, everyone's just lost lost themselves and are uh, acting in confusion. So then, of course, they, it's easier to attack them. So Israel thinks this is his opportunity to to attack. So the Kohen says the Kohen stop. Now the Kohen had been preparing to ask a return. And, also, and, and Shaul says, no, I'm, I'm taking it back. Uh, don't ask everyone, tell me I want to go fight. Now, on the one hand, it's understood why Shaul felt like that. He saw this was his opportunity to launch an attack. He saw that the Pishti army, whatever it was, had taken them by surprise and they wouldn't be prepared for and it would catch them, so to speak, by second surprise if the rest of the Jewish army attacked now. Yeah? I understand. But on the other hand, this is a very big mistake on Shaul's part. And that is, once you ask a Kaddish Baruch a question, and to say, no, don't give the answer, it's okay, we're going to fight. It's, it's an insult. It's an insult to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that you ask him a question, and you don't wait to get the answer. He asked, and He asked or is he asking the claim? To the ask claim. the question. No, but he has to ask the question. So he sends up the claim to ask him the question, and now he says, actually, I don't need the answer, it's okay, I'll do it myself. So that, that's, that's already an insult. You know, as if he decided as a king to, to make a decision, it's one thing. If he decides he's going to ask Hashem, and then say, actually, I'm not interested in Hashem's answer, uh, I'll decide on my own what to do. It's a tremendous fear of crappy matter. There's no difference if a person would go to the Gadol and, and say, I have an important question, and ask you advice. He asks the question, he says, I actually don't know, I'm not having myself, it's okay. So, if you come to ask them the advice, at least that their heritage is listen to what they say. And therefore, this was a fear which uh, later on Charles is going to be punished for. And that is, later on, when he tries to ask him, he doesn't get answered. If, if he dis- didn't show enough respect when he does Hashem to listen to what Hashem has to say, uh, then the next time he's going to ask and he needs the advice, Hashem is not going to answer. So that, that was a, another mistake of Shaul. And once again, it's coming from, we spoke of previously Shaul's mistakes as a king, it's coming from the same point. And that is uh, 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 an inability to have patience 
when something happens to act to act to be act fast to act in a way which is uh, too spontaneous, right? If if you're asking Hashem a question, then Hashem answers you. That's not going to make the difference to the battle. But if now's the time, and I can see now, now's time to catch the fish, and this is taking too long. So forget, we're just going to go and fight. This is the etzim, the underlying midi here, uh, is something which Yaakov already already points out is a king, a middle which is dangerous for a king. And we spoke about this in the middle of him, we spoke about it in the parasha. What Yaakov tells is Bechor Ruben. And he says, Ruben Bechor Yat. And as a Bechor, you should have been the king. But you have a midah which renders you unworthy to be a king. And that is Pachas Kamayim. You act too quickly. You do things without, without having the proper thought and the proper uh, calmness and the proper peace of mind to make a proper decision. You just act. And Yaakov, and Yaakov tells him, that's the middle that's dangerous for a king. And therefore, I have to take the kingdom away from you, the rulership away from you, because that's not the middle of a king. And we always explain why it's like that. And that is, the more power a person has, the more dangerous it is if they make decisions without thinking properly, because they can cause more destruction. And therefore, it's like always a famous joke that, uh, that the person who comes to the, and the king doesn't like something, like, off with his head, and in a second, he'll be dead. Of your guards will carry out his decree, and then he doesn't have time to, so to speak, to, to rethink the, what he says or to take back what he said. And therefore, if someone's in that position of power, he has to know not to act too quickly. Not to act too quickly because it's going to have effects, you can't always take back. And that's what Yaakov really pointed out to Ruben. He said, That's enough of a reason not to make you a king. And then you see Shaul making the same mistake. And there, was, there were times when because of the situation, because of the Shaul uh, lost his calmness and his ability to do things in Sudha, like an organized fashion, and just and then each time it was a mistake. That is, the, to lose that uh, presence of mind to act as a king. So Shaul tells the coin, take back the question, I don't, I don't have time to wait for an answer. So Shaul like, gathers the people and they race down to attack the Pishtim. The Maaseh is that at that stage the, the Jewish army didn't even have to add too much. There was already a... the, the Pishtim were killing each other. The Pishtim were killing each other. And uh, there was a tremendous confusion or chaos which was going on. So they weren't sure themselves who, who was an enemy and who wasn't an enemy. And why was that the case? And the reason was like this. When, you know, we always say that if you have an army, one of the reasons why they dress the army in a uniform is that you can see who's on your side. If, if you're just going to get random people to come up, and you, then you don't know, you've done without identifying who's with you, so then you're very likely to think that the people who are with you are your enemies. And they're also in the battlefield waving weapons. And therefore, the, the, one of the reasons why an army is a certain distinctive dress, whatever it is, I can identify a friend from enemy. Now, over here by the Pishtun, we see that they gather together a tremendously big army. We saw, like the sand of the sea. They weren't all Pishti soldiers. They managed to brought other people to fight as well. And we'll see in the next passage, including some of the Jews. Some of the Jews that were living in the Pishti territories, they forced them to come join the Pishti army also. And now, when the Pishtim, I don't know what's going on, and they're being attacked from within. And now they, so now they don't know who the enemy is. So, we matter that within the ranks of the Pishtim themselves, they start fighting each other because it wasn't clear to them themselves, everyone who's on their team. 
So the fishes started cleaning themselves. And, what, and what's going to happen also is that all those, those, those Jews that they had brought into the fish, the army, so now are going to turn against them. Once they see that there's a, the fish aren't as powerful as it seems and, and aren't as uh, necessarily going to win as it looked like on the outside, so now they're going to fight the fish from within. And if that's the case, there's going to be lots of these pockets of internal rebellion, so to speak, within the force, of, not, not just what Yenison was doing. So then the other Jews who had been conscripted into the Pishti army are also going to turn against the Pishtim from within. And we see that this is what happened because it's very interesting. The idea that the Pishtim used to use Jews to come with them to fight, we find in the end of Shmuel also. At that stage, David Melech, who had run away from Shaul, and he was living in the land of the Pishtim, and Achish, who was hosting him, told him, we're going to fight the Jews, you're coming with, with all your people. In other words, he didn't see it strange that you're going to force the Jews to come fight with us against the other Jews. So he brought David with him to battle. And the other Pishti general said to him, what are you doing? Why are you bringing these Jews to fight with us? And the Akhish said, they're going to help us. They're soldiers, they can fight with us. He said, yeah, what's going to happen is what happened last time. They're going to turn against us from the inside. Which means this is where the Pishti had that bad experience in the past. And that's what happened over here. That they brought the Jews in their lands to fight with them. But Lamaisa, now that there was this tremendous confusion in the Pishti ranks, so the Jews in the Pishti army used the opportunity to fight the Pishti as well. And that's what it says, The Jews who had been with the Pishti from before, and as they'd been living in the Pishti territories from before, and they had been brought to the uh, to the Machane, to the army, to fight with the Pishti. So now, They now turned back, and they, they fought against the Pishti together with Shal Yenison. So there's, there, this just adds to the the amount of internal war going on within the camp of the Christian. And besides for that, we saw that at the beginning, all the other Jews ran and hit. They were so scared of the size of the Christian armies, they all went to hide. So as soon as they start hearing, you know, words of new spreads, and they start hearing that the Christian are actually losing, so then they're very quick to run back and join the army. All the Jews had hidden all over Har Ephraim. Heard that the Christian were were running away. So they also ran after them to join the Muhammad. Now once again, if you understand the geography, that means they're coming from a different side. Because uh, the Pishtim were in Michmash, which was north of where Shal was in Gimba So now besides the fact that there's a lot of internal fighting going on within the Pishti camp, like we saw, the Shal's army is coming to them from the south. That's where he was. He came to attack him from the south side. All the Jews who in Har Ephraim and now heard what was happening come to join, they're coming from behind. Har Ephraim is further north. So they're going to attack the Pishtim from the north. So besides for the internal fighting going on in the Pishti army, there's, two Jew, there's now a two-pronged attack of the of Yisrael, both from Shal's army in the south and all the, uh, the people who have regathered to fight from the north. And the result is, we're going to see, that the Pishtim turn and flee. And then for the Pasuk says, Hashem Yisrael, Baruch Yisrael. It was clear that this wasn't something which anyone expected. It was clear that this was a nice. The Milchama moved to Beit which means the Pishtim ran, and now the Jewish people chased them to this place called Beit Zavim. That's the, that's the main part of the battle. In other words, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu causes this confusion, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu sets it up that the Pishtim are going to run from the Jews. Now, here we see something which is very interesting. 
We pointed out in the previous, the first war that Shaul fought, which was against uh, the king of Nachash, the king of Ammon. So we pointed out that there it wasn't. We don't see any nisim which happens, and we saw because there Klaisvall were relying on their king. They thought that this enormous army of 300,000 soldiers and they have a king. They were relying on the king. So even though they won the war, obviously Hashem orchestrated like that, but it wasn't the nice that they could see clearly that Hashem is taking charge of the battle. Over here, it is exactly the opposite. Over here, the Klaisvall had no chance. They had 600 soldiers who weren't armed against an unnamed amount of soldiers against them. But, the, but on the other hand, here they did rely on Hashem. When Yonison went up to fight, so he, that was his lesson, and he told his, he told his uh, sword bearer, he said, we're going to fight because Hashem isn't prevented from helping us with a few as if it had been many. And therefore, a war when Klai Yisrael did rely on Hashem to help them, that was the starting point of the, the, the Muhammad. So then Hashem acts in a more miraculous way. And the fact that Klai Yisrael won this war, was by Yeshua Hashem. It was clear that Hashem had saved him. It wasn't uh, no one took credit for it, and definitely no one gave Shaul credit for it. He had nothing to do with it. If anything, he messed it up by not uh, waiting for Shmuel. But the, the war itself, the, everything to do with Yonason, is fine, and nothing to do with him. So now, so Shaul realizes that. So the process is in part of the The Ish Yisrael Nigash Bayamahu. Dai Yisrael, the Nigash, which means they approach. Um, <coughs> on that day, who did they approach? So the, the way most of the explain it is that they approached the Pishtim. In other words, they, they came close to the Pishtim camp to chase them. The Pishtim ran away, and the Pishtim are following them, or chasing them. And now, Bayel shows on. Shal makes an Ashwa for all the people, and he says to them, I make a sure that no one's allowed to eat until tonight. When you come to my Vayelach, you'll be able to take Revenge on our enemies, because if you're going to stop to eat, we'll lose the impetus of the of chasing the the Christian. And therefore, Shaul makes everybody make a shvur that nobody's going to eat until the night. And that way, they would be able to complete the job and, and finish chasing the Christian. And the people listened. No one ate because they had uh, they had been compelled by Shaul to make this nether. Now we're going to see: was this a clever thing to do or not a clever thing to do? So. We know that there were other times, and it's brought in the postgame also, that on the day the Klai Yisrael used to go to battle, they used to fast. But that was for a different reason. There they used to fast as a sign of tshuva, as a sign of tefillah. And uh, even though Ba'atim, we want, if a soldier is going to fight, we should want him to be in optimal physical condition. And fasting isn't the best way to fight battles. But, like the postgame say, if it was clear that the war anyway was going to be Biyad Hashem, then it's more important that we daven than we do tshuva, and rely on that is the way that Hashem is going to save us more than we're in fighting form because we've had a good breakfast. That was the normal way that the Jewish army would go to war. That was before the Hatzalah. That was in order to, to as a schuss, that we should be saved. Over here, Shal didn't do that in advance. It's only once the Klai Yisrael are already victorious. And the Jason finished him, now Shal makes him a Kishwar. But now the point was for a different reason. It was in order to, com- to complete the uh, destruction of the Pishtim. It wasn't as necessarily as a way to deserves the Dishmai. And if that's the case, the question is asked, was Shal right or was he wrong? Was this the right thing to do? If the point of making a fast is in order to get schusim from Hashem, so then, there's a, then there's a reason to fast. If the point of the fast is just to be more, to, to more, be more focused on the battle, was that or wasn't that the right thing to do? Especially since Alpi Halachas wouldn't have been a fast. You know, the Halacha is that a fast is only a fast if it was taken on in advance. And the fact that now in the middle of the day, 
Shal says, don't get eaten until tonight. Wouldn't have been a fast. And in fact, they might have eaten breakfast that morning. We don't know. So this is just a, a military strategy as a way to keep the people focused on chasing the enemy rather than as a thriller or something which would be a schuss. And then we'll see you next time. Was Shal right around to do this? And we'll be coming over from the next second.